This is episode number 354, The Arc of Breck Epic with Mike McCormick. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about high performance and well-being, and I'm your host, Sonia. And if you're new around here, I am a world and multi-time national champion in mountain biking, and I still race professionally. I'm a health and mental performance coach, a writer, a mom of two little kids, and I own my own business. And if you're not new around here, welcome. I'm so glad that you're back, and I'm so grateful that you are a part of this awesome community, and that we get to learn and grow together. They'll suffer, but everyone's suffering, but they can do it. We've had 70-year-old humans, men and women, across the finish line. Hard is good, hard is the point. Like, you wanna show people the face of their God out there a little bit and have them have a moment of clarity about what they're capable of. That's the point. And grinding them into pace, hurting them, that's not the point. You wanna send them home healthy, happy and hungover. I'm in week two out of three of an intensive race block. So first I did a trail half marathon, which fortunately I won and got third overall. And then a few days ago, I did the back 40 in Whistler, which is a very technical cross country race. And I was pretty disappointed in my ability to perform that day. I was not recovered at all from the half marathon, which was an experiment. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to do back-to-back races, and I knew that it was a possibility that that could happen. So that meant that I went a lot slower than I normally go. I was, in fact, about 20 minutes off my normal race pace. It was very humbling. I did think about quitting, which I never quit races, but I just want to let you know that I do think about quitting races sometimes. And it's the choice not to quit that makes us resilient. And I had to change my goals. I had to shift my plan for the day. And I do. I will say that I'm really proud of how I rode the very technical descents. I managed to stay really strong in my mind after going through the feeling of, should I continue? And in fact, I wrote down some of my wins when I got home because it can be so easy to focus on the negative or even on the shame that we might feel when things don't go the way that we had planned. So I want to share with you some of my wins so that if this happens to you in your life with whatever challenge you're taking on, that you go for it and you come up short. And that's guaranteed to happen if you are striving for more. This is a good practice to have. So some of my wins was that I had a lot of self-compassion during the race. And the three components of self-compassion are kindness, common humanity, and mindfulness. So I wasn't beating myself up over the whole thing equanimity, having a calmness of mind. And that is something that I've worked on a lot whenever things get stressful or when things aren't going my way, or even when things are really going my way, being sure to keep a level head and gratitude, being so grateful for what I was doing and for what I had while holding at the same time that disappointment. And I'll read to you a couple of the wins that I also that I wrote down in addition to the mindset. So one, it's still good training. Two, I made huge gains from my race prep and my ability because the race was incredibly technical. They sent us down EWS Enduro World Series downhills on our cross-country bike. So that took a lot to be able to do that and to race that. And I rode the descents way better than I would have in previous years. It was raining and everything was wet and greasy on these EWS descents on my cross-country bike and cross-country tires. So I was super proud of that. I got to have an adventure with my husband. I got to spend time in the community and I like racing my bike regardless. So being able to show up with a race number plate on my bike meant the world to me. 
and I got to exercise my identity and values in many different ways. Next up, I have a race this weekend called the Merit Crown, which they call it 120 kilometers of mountain bike misery. So it's about close to 10,000 feet of climbing, 120 kilometer race, and it's going to be lots of fun. I'm trying to erase and be a goldfish and not think about how I felt last weekend while making sure that I am focused on recovery so that I can show up as my best, hopefully this weekend. There's a number of different things that I do to recover in between races. And this week, I am really focused on taking the Prevenix Neurofi Plus plant-based shake. It has 20 grams of vegan protein, 1 billion probiotics, digestive enzymes so it doesn't upset your tummy, BCAAs or branched-chain amino acids to help with muscle repair, and it also has a bunch of extra vitamins. I'll let you in on a little secret. I normally do not like protein shakes at all. In fact, I detest them. (laughs) So for me, it's a really big deal that I drink this protein shake. What sets this protein shake apart from other ones that I've had is that number one, it is pharmaceutical grade vitamins and minerals. And it has a lot of extra vitamins and minerals that I know that I need in order to recover. And it has things like iron. It has things like leucine, isoleucine, valine, glutamine, These things all are very important for athletes. It also has calcium and vitamin B12 and magnesium and a lot more. So if you are feeling a bit off or if you just want to add in a bit more protein into your diet and do so in a way that has no preservatives and the highest quality and the highest source of these vitamins and minerals, check out the Prevenix Neurofi Plus plant-based shake. I like the vanilla one a lot, and personally, it gives me a little bit extra assurance with my diet whenever I am worried that maybe I didn't eat as much protein as I needed, especially for the training load that I have. If this sounds good, they have a 30-day money-back guarantee, so I encourage you to give it a shot. And while you're at it, try out their Joint Health Plus, which is a huge seller for them, especially amongst athletes. Use the code SONYA15 and get 15% off your first order. That is SONYA15, S-O-N-Y-A-15 at Prevenex.com, P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com. All right, so onward to today's podcast, which I am very excited about, the Breck Epic. The Breck Epic is one of the best stage races in the world. It's the very first stage race that I ever did in 2010. And since then, I've done it a total of three times. I returned last year to race it as my first stage race back after having kids, and it had been about 10 years since I had done the Breck Epic, and I was not disappointed. And in fact, since I had done the Breck Epic my second time, which was in 2013, I had the ability and the luxury to travel the world racing my bike in 25 plus countries. I've done many, many international stage races and on pretty much every single continent. So I can tell you firsthand that this is what it, where it's at with stage racing, the Breck Epic. What makes it unique is you get to have these incredible adventures in the high alpine. And there aren't many places in the world where there are mountain bike trails in the high alpine that are accessible. Take it from me. I lived in Colorado for 10 years, and now I live in British Columbia that has incredible mountain biking and beautiful mountains. But there really are not that many high alpine trails. The race is also very well organized, and it is definitely worth doing if you are thinking about doing a stage race. Every stage also starts and finishes in Breckenridge, so it makes it very feasible if you have a family or if you just don't want to mess with logistics. So you can just stay in one place for the entire week. And last year, I did it with, let's see, my daughter, I think, was five months old, and my son was two and a half. So logistically, that made it really easy for us to show up and for me to do the race. 
I've known Mike McCormick for a very long time. I used to race the Mountain States Cup cross-country races back in the early 2000s, thinking like 2006, 2007, 2008. And I did the Firecracker 50 a lot of times. So I've known Mike since before he even started the Breck Epic. And his leadership and visionary ideas have turned Breck Epic into a global sensation. From its humble beginnings with 87 riders, this event has grown to host over 650 riders from 42 countries. After 11 years, this six-day, 215 to 250 mile race across the High Alpine Trail Network above Breckenridge now attracts the biggest names in mountain biking and has left its mark on the sport's history. In this episode, I got to sit down with Mike McCormick to talk about the arc of the Breck Epic. He shares how he ventured into the world of event and race production, the importance of putting people first, and how he uses humor as a superpower to fuel his race event's success. Plus, we will uncover the founding principles that guide Breck Epic's growth, development, and its impact on sport. You heard a little bit about what makes Breck Epic different, but tune in as Mike Mack takes us behind the scenes of Breck Epic's growth and shares some killer advice for starting your own race. Breck Epic is proof that if you put people first, have a passion for what you're doing, and maintain your integrity, you can have a legendary event with a long-term impact on the sport. And you'll hear Mike and I talk about something called the Women's Cycling Summit. It's an event that we are launching this year alongside the Breck Epic to turn intention into action with like-minded women. And we are hosting this event at the Breck Epic. It is August 14th through the 16th. So if you're in the area, if you're at the Breck Epic and you're not racing or you just want to do the three-day like me and you are also wanting to attend this event, you should come check it out. I wanted to put this event on because there are so many reasons why we as women don't do the thing that we want to do. We will put everybody else first. We will think that we can't do it. And we don't see that we are far more capable than we ever imagined. And the only way to discover that about yourself is by taking action and doing something, trying something hard. So I wanted to put on this event to help transform people to put those thoughts into action, to create a roadmap and a blueprint for women who want to do things in their life, not only in cycling, but in their lives. Our mission is to help women overcome limiting beliefs, to provide the skills, instruction, and confidence to progress on the bike and beyond. And our vision is creating action, mentorship, and experiences that dissolve common barriers to help women unlock their potential. We will have a number of speakers at this event. There will also be tech clinics by Shimano. There will be group rides. And the whole event is free. We just want to help women move down the path. So if this is ringing a bell for you, or maybe this sounds like something one of your friends or someone you know would be interested in, go to womencyclingsummit.com, mark your calendar, make sure you're subscribed to my email newsletter at sonyalooney.com because I will be sending more information out that way. And we really can't wait to see you there. And I would not have been able to do this without the help and mentorship from Mike McCormick. And one last thing that I want to mention before we head out into this episode is that on Tuesday, June 20th, I am doing a free presentation with Ryan Leach, and he has his RLC, his Ride, Learn, Connect, formerly the Ryan Leach Connection platform. I'll be doing a presentation on the mental skills and mindset of consistency, expectations, and having long-lasting motivation. We are still ironing out the details on how to make this free for everybody, even if you're not a member of RLC. So stay tuned. Make sure you are subscribed to my newsletter, as I mentioned, because I send out a lot of information like this on there or check out my social media as I will be posting the link for you to sign up. If you've never heard of RLC, it is a great place to develop your mountain bike skills and more. 
You can find that at rlc-mtb.com. Okay, let's launch in. Here is Mike McCormick. Mike, whenever I think about you, I immediately think about your sense of humor. Where did this come from? How did you develop it? Wow. Um, <clears throat> I swing through the fences with the first question. I have no idea. I, I've never really thought about it. You communicate the way you communicate. I think mean, sometimes the way that I communicate relies a little bit too heavily on uh, comedy. <laughs> It'd be better just getting to the point. But I think, you know, in the written form, uh, I think we, we started, you know, the Breck Epic, because we didn't have any money for marketing. We started by writing newsletters, you know, one famously written from a hotel bathroom in Crested Butte while my family was sleeping. It's, uh, we wanted to get our point across and be approachable. And writing for me, you know, at its best is fun. And at its worst is a slog. I think it's like that for most people that put a pen to paper or fingers to a keyboard. But we wanted the race to be approachable for you to feel like you were going to a friend's house and that it was going to be fun. And there's a lot of suffering involved. You can't fake your way through it. But it sort of is like going to a friend's house and having a home-cooked meal. And, and the newsletters, I think, which is where that communication style started, were... Um, they themselves went through an arc where they would, you know, pick a target of outrage and then, you know, riff and riff and riff at the injustice in the mountain biking universe. And we've gotten off that uh, as, as you know, that's the Imperial we. I've gotten off that. And I've tried to communicate a little more uh, authentically. Unfortunately for me, authentically is, you know, there's a lot of 12-year-old still rumbling around in my brain. So that's what you get. I don't have a choice. That's how I arrived there. I think that humor, humor is one of your superpowers and also one of Breck Epic's superpowers. Before we get into Breck Epic, you have been a race promoter for a long time. I moved to Colorado in 2005. I think I saw you at some race, races in Breck, at Mountain States Cup races. When did you start working in the race scene? I helped with event production when I worked for Trek Bicycles years and years and years ago. And that would have been whew, mid to late 90s. And then I moved to Breckenridge in the late 90s and got introduced to Jeff Westcott, who, who became my, my partner in crime and, and my, my first wife, or I'm his first wife, I'm really not sure. Or husbands, I guess, doesn't matter. You know, I learned a lot about how to be married by being a partner with Jeff, right? He was he was my dry run, and I was his. And, uh, you know, he's family to this day. So I think we took over the Summit Mountain Challenge in 1999. And then the Firecracker launched the year after that. I may be off by a year. He's better at that than I am. But it was, you know, an act of community uh, uh, to, to build the mountain bike community and to bring it in and to... You know, profit was never really a motive. Having fun and, and being with our people was the motive. And from there, it was the Mountain States Cup uh, with Yeti. And then in 2008, I think I read an article from Mike Ferentino about the Trans Rockies and how he, you know, ripped both of his uh, Achilles in half, you know, hiking up power lines and in a new pair of CDs. And honestly, this was was the, uh, the domino moment or when the other shoe dropped, really, however you want to look at it. I thought to myself, man, 
we could do better than that, <laughs> right? Which is how, right? Like, weirdly, how the firecracker started. Also, like there was so much strife and struggle in the mountain bike world in the Norbus series, and there were a lot of people going back and forth and at each other. And and the simple premise of we can do better than that. We can be nicer to people. We can make better T-shirts. We can treat them to a race and a beer. And the, like the the recipe was pretty simple. So yeah, sorry, long answer. Nineteen ninety nine. Is the short answer. Yeah, it sounds like a community first, a people first mentality has been really the key to success in a lot of these events that you've put on. And I can say firsthand, Colorado, I, I don't know what it's like now because I, I don't live there anymore, but I lived in Colorado for 10 years and there was a definite mountain bike community that was incredible and unlike anywhere I had ever been a part of. And some of these races that you put on were key, a key part of that. Thank you. That's super cool to hear. I've always thought about the Breck Epic. You don't have to visit the same analogy as inviting people to your house. You want clean sheets, right? You want fresh toiletries to set out. You want their towels to be nicely folded. Like You want to cook food that they like to eat. I think that really gets at the heart of what Jeff and I, and then later you know, I alone um, with Epic, trying to create. It's um, We're all in this together. We're just mountain biking. We're not splitting the atom. We're not curing cancer. But we do, you know, especially in a prolonged race like the Epic, you can't be a bad guy and have a good week because there's 400 or 449 other people that are going to see you for you. So there's opportunity in there to embrace your better angels and and to realize it's a long race. No one's going to win by 10 seconds. So, so your manners out there matter. And you have space and width and breadth to, I, I think not everybody needs this, but I know that I do like, like sometimes to be a better version of myself. Like I, I think about this, you have kids, you know, they see everything and, and your kids, they're still in the forgetty stages, right? Like you can get away with more, but I have like regrets as a dad. Like I, I, I wish I could go back and do things over and better and, be kinder and more thoughtful. I got a great piece of advice from um, Brian Dillon's dad. I don't know if you remember Brian. He was a pro from Durango. He raced for uh, Topi Kurgan for a year. He was a guy who always uh, he had a false tooth in the front. So for his epic portraits, he would always take his tooth out and have this huh. huge, beautiful smile without a tooth in it. It was awesome. And uh, I was telling his dad at like stage three or four of the epic, man, I, I love your son. He is a pro's pro. He is, uh, you know, he's a professional mountain biker who's also a teacher in his real life. Like that gets a lot of points for me. But he's also like really, really professional. And, and to me, like the manners of being a professional matter, conducting yourself like a pro. And he said something to me in that moment. He's like, do you have kids? Like, oh, yeah, I have two. And he's like, do you want some advice? And like, like both of my ears snapped forward like a German shepherd. <laughs> And I was like, yeah, I want some advice. I think my kids were like maybe nine and, and seven or nine and six at that time. And he, and he said, uh, I wish I would have yelled less. And what an amazing piece of parenting advice to, to put the moment in perspective. And that piece of advice has become sort of a, a North Star for me is, is to try to be graceful, try to be less of the poopy Mike Mack, you know, instead of poopy Mike Mack is definitely in there, but be gracious with people, you know, 
a lot of things go wrong in a week like Epic. Yeah, you know this. Like, you need to be pretty lucky to finish, let alone finish well. And you got to roll with the punches. And one of the things that you can control is making sure that there's fresh sheets, making sure the towels are folded, making sure that people, when they have problems or moments, and we all have them, roll with the moment and, and have thick enough skin and broad enough shoulders to just realize. Let them get it out, you know, and, and make them feel heard. I think that's what we try to do is give people some autonomy in the process, make them feel valued. I, I, that's where we are. I've been talking for a long time. I forgot the question. <laughs> that's <Scandal. a> question. <laughs> <laughs> I should have written it down. Well, I'm going to comment on something you said that like, well, I think you started saying like, hey, we're not curing cancer here. This is a mountain bike race. But mountain biking is a microcosm for life. And a lot of the skills that we learn in mountain biking applies to parenting, applies to anything. And something that you said was being gracious with people and being gracious with yourself and not being the person yelling and not listening to other people. That's hard to do. It's easy to say, but hard to do. So when you are in a moment when someone's complaining to you and you're tired and you've been pulled in a thousand directions... And you are creating that space. How do you do that? How did you practice that? I leave every every Bark Epic with a list of a thousand things in my brain that we could do better, that I want to improve on for the next year. And always at the top of the list is a moment where I feel like I should have behaved better, made a better decision, consulted the people around me. Um, I went through a period, I think, for a couple of years where, where I thought, you know, I'm just going to decide. It's easier that way. And I made a decision one year during a rain cancellation day that, you know, it just didn't go over well. And it, I realized that it ran against the founding principles of where we came from. We used to, we had problems in the field, someone who wasn't nice or something that would typically go to a race jury. Like we talked about it at the nightly meeting. And there were always a couple of pros, men and women who spoke up and said, hey, there's no perfect answer here, but this is maybe how should we could, we should deal with this going forward. And it's not perfect, but let's all agree that it's the best we can do. And Travis Brown was one of those people. Cap Nash became one of those people. Kobe Pierce raced with us for several years. There are a few men and women who, who worn the jersey that had Patron written on it in invisible ink. And we've been blessed to have those people. They serve as abject lessons, you know, of how to not let the moment get away from you. It's going to. And I, I think intent matters. I can, I have a list of top 10 moments I'd like to take back where I spoke more shortly than I needed to. I think that really, damn, man, that's my Achilles heel is like, just like by Thursday, I'm pretty fried. <laughs> right? I haven't, I haven't slept like 10 hours in, in seven days. And, um, Something always happens and I'm not as good as I would like to be. And I'm probably hungry and you forgive yourself and, and you move on. And forgiving yourself doesn't give you a hall pass. It's not just get out of jail free card. It really, for me, is uh, it's like raising my kids. Be better, you know, and, and you are your own best teacher if you're objective about it. And if you've behaved, you've gotten a C minus or D, work harder to get an A, you know, learn the lesson. So how do you deal with it? I feel like from the hip sometimes, Sonia, you know, there, there's a lot of on the fly human interaction. 
and you try to remember that it's important to be cool to people and to hear them. And when you don't live up to that standard, be honest with yourself. It's a great conversation on the NBA on TNT last night. And, you know, the uh, TNT is trying to recreate that broadcast booth with Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal uh, and uh, Kenny and Ernie, which has great chemistry. And Shaquille and Charles Barkley were talking about having mentors, like elder statesmen. For Charles Barkley, it was Julius Serving, Dr. J. And Barkley, in the beginning of his career for the Sixers, was having a hard time dealing with criticism. And Dr. J told him, is it real? You know, is it valid? And if it's, of course, it hurts your feelings. All of it does. But if it's valid, you got to figure out how to sit with it. So you as a parent have the same voice that I as a parent have in my head. You listen to that voice when you think maybe you haven't done it your best and try to be better. Nobody gets an A. I don't get an A. Well, you try for an A and intent matters. Yeah, that's really great perspective and the, the power of intent, the power of listening, and also not letting yourself off the hook, but giving yourself grace whenever you do screw up because it will happen to all of us. Right? I got a list from today. Right? <laughs> it's like I need to do better or over or you know mowing the lawn, re- returning emails. Right? You have to find a place of peace with that. That man, very rarely do you get an A. So, so what are. are what are the founding principles of the Breck Epic? Big rides with friends, like that's the vibe. It's a race. Like you, man, you know that. It's a race. Like you're, you're, you're going against other people. You're going against yourself. But by the end of the week, you know, you're going against the clock in your own body and um, trying to finish the race with your gas tank empty. So the founding principles are to create great courses. They don't have a lot of backcountry endurance mountain biking anymore. So we're a little bit of a unicorn. It is really an international race. You know, a third of our field crosses an ocean to get here. Then another third comes from Alberta. (laughs) 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 Maybe not not Alberta. Um, So yeah, we're a third, a third, and a third. A third international, a third 40 plus other states, and a third from the mountain region. So Colorado, Utah, Wyoming. We just have to care. You have to care about people's experience when they're here. And I think by nature, I'm a pleaser. Like I have been since I was a little kid. That's part of my personality profile. Not that I've ever taken a personality profile, but I'm guessing it's in there. Care about whether the salsa you made tastes good, right? Like Care about organic tomatoes. Like Care about chopping the onions correctly. Um, all little things that add up to a neat experience on site. You want people to go home thinking, man, the riding was fun. And they seem to really like doing it. That's what I want to go home with. I mean, what I want you to go home with as a rider. That's what Jeff and I started with. You bring your bike. We're going to worry about everything else. And you know, the firecracker is a great testament to that. Like it's the best 50 mile race in the world. Um, Agreed. Because of those. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, it's more Jeff than me. I mean, for a, a lot of years now. Um, but man, that's the guiding light. Care about what you do. It's not all going to go right. And when it doesn't go right, raise your hand. You know, my my boss at Backbone Media taught me this great lesson, which really distilled. 
I hope this was thinking I already had, but he was like, Hey, like I was going through a sort of a, a copywriting learning arc with Penn and Ian and Nate there. And uh, I was like, Hey, when, when you have success, you should always speak in the we, um, we did this, you know, and, and attribute your success to the team. And man, the Breck Epic is like that. Like it is a team effort. We have six different big organizational subgroups. Like, like it doesn't happen by accident or in a vacuum. When something goes wrong though, stand up. At some point, if you go far enough back in the timeline, you made a decision that allowed something wrong to happen. You didn't prepare correctly. You didn't give employees um, enough information, enough clear direction. Like all the fault rests with you. So that again, you know, it was a great, great observation about how to, to write graciously, but it also is a larger statement about life. You'd be accountable. And six days and that many miles and that many riders, like you, you just, you're not going to bat a thousand. So when you don't, be gracious about it. And it's amazing how how much grace you get in return from people when like we've had some complaints about things that we didn't manage well. There have been those moments over the years. And when we raise our hand and say, yeah, we could have handled that better. And, and in some cases next year we will. People have been really cool about it to hear, yeah, no, that's on us. You're right. And what a great way to diffuse a problem and move past it and be better. It's because like, collectively we're a lot smarter than we are individually and you have to be open to the possibility that, that you are the final authority on everything yeah my friend travis macy said life is a team sport <laughs> right? hockey's also a team sport um basketball volleyball but yeah life for sure it takes a village the cool thing about this race and just racing in general is that like you said, there's lots of lessons here, lots of through lines. Like even you're talking about running a business. Like that's that's a big through line, what it means to be a leader. I wanted to actually ask you though, I, I didn't get a chance. Where did the idea of the Breck Epic come from? Because I did it for the first time in 2010, which I believe was its second year. And I yes. had never heard of a stage race before. And I don't know, you know, who was the first to come up with the stage race, but that was certainly the first one I had ever heard of. So, you know, where did this idea come from? Well, the French, the Swiss, the Italians, you know, <laughs> the, 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 the classics in Europe. And we, we were all, and we grew up in a generation that became inspired first by Greg Lamont and, and then by Lance Armstrong and, and sort of everyone in between and their accomplishments, no matter what you may think about them are notable. And, it takes a lot of sacrifice and, and there's an incredible amount of mental strength to do that. I was in Breck at the time. I think this was probably the kernel of the idea started in, in 2007 and 2008. And, and it really did start with that article uh, by Mike Ferentino about racing the Trans Rockies. I think stage racing in, in the world as we know it, and the South Africans might have a different take on this because it's really pretty mature there. It's but, crazy um, there. It's I've done a couple of stage races in South Africa and everybody is so into it. And there's so many people. Nerds. They're nerds. Right? <laughs> I love them. I love them to death. Cape Epic has a totally different take on production value and the moving village. And like I look at 
the footprint, like the aerial photographs of, of their production. And I'm blown away. Like there's a spark of divinity in every human and in, in every event. And we're great at, I think, identifying what we love about other events and trying to cross pollinate ours with those ideas. I think some of our ideas are, are original and unique. Some of them are, are childish and fun. And we land in this neat place in the middle where we are our own thing. Like we're not big, but we're not small. Like when you when you come to the Brick Epic, like it's big enough that it feels like a real mountain bike race, but it's small enough to communicate sort of the depth of that backcountry experience. Like you may be, you may have people in sight for the first ten miles, but after that, like it thins out, and you have some time alone out there. And I think that's really how the Breck Epic came about. Like we looked at the Trans Rockies and what Aaron McConnell was doing, who's mm-hmm. a super neat human. And I think the BC bike race guys also have a great product. And I love that we're all different. But I think Aaron was probably the first in North America. And I read Mike's article and, and I was in Breck and very involved in open space and advocacy at the time. And all of those sort of interests converged. I read Mike's article and I thought, you know, jealousy has been a powerful motivator for me for, for a, a long time. Um, and just like audacious lurker grade competitiveness. I want to do it better than them. I'm still getting by on that. Uh, like that's a point of pride to just at least try. And anyway, Breck is surrounded by millions of acres of open space. And there's a compelling story there about the, how the local land managers the Summit Fat Tire Society, the Friends of the Hill Ranger District have all sort of collaborated together and gone through some difficult sausage making to create and preserve this trail network that is, it's accessible to mountain biking reliably for about three months out of the year. And I thought when I looked at Trans Rockies, well, we can do that without the shuttles. We can do it from here. It's like Monarch Crest is this great ride in Colorado. You've, you've probably ridden it a dozen times. And when I lived in Breck, I always used to think, well, why would I go to Monarch Crest? I can do a ride that good from my house in six different directions. And that's the Breck Epic, right? It's huge rides that you really, you're riding with the same people all week. They become your people. They become your supporters when you're down. Like you become theirs when they're down. Um, it, it really is a neat way to build this big 500 person village composed of a lot of different clusters of tinier huts. Aaron was first. I think we were second. BC was probably there about the same time. And there's space enough for all of us. I mean, the the South Africans are gonzo about stage races, right? There's a bunch of good ones out there. I think we're one of them. Yeah, something that I really like about the Breck Epic is that central location because a lot of stage races, it's... It's fun and an adventure to move a lot, but if you want your family to come or you're intimidated by moving around, that is makes it so much easier. Not that the race is easy. And number two, I've had the luxury of being able to race my bike all around the world. And you will not find how high Alpine single track like you do in Colorado and then finding it all in six directions like you do in Breckenridge. And for me, that was the first stage race I ever did. And now I've done, I don't even know, like I've done at least 30 stage races. I was trying to count them up and I just have no idea how many I've done. And it started with the Breck Epic. And there hasn't been a race that I found like the Breck Epic because of the adventure aspect and because of the challenge, but it's just enough challenge. 
And the type of challenge where you finish the day and you're like, I don't know if I would ever go out and do that quote for fun on my own, but dang, I am so proud that I was able to do that. Well, yeah, you would. You just wouldn't do six of them in a row. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't didn't hear a question there, but (laughs) there's a lot of compliments. Thank you. Do you know about, I have this theory, it's called the burrito sadness. And it's, it's, um, I'll, t- I'll tell you about my $2 pairing theory later, but the burrito sadness is, is like when, when you get a burrito and like you take the first couple bites and you're just filled with endorphins, right? Because burrito, and it yeah. doesn't matter where it, come from, where I hope it comes gua- from. I hope there's guac in the first couple bites though, because it sucks when it's at the bottom. <laughs> I, and I don't like my mix like they do at some of the places. Like I really like pieces to be. I like it to be like a little bit of a box of chocolates inside. Anyway, I always take the first couple bites of my burrito and I'm, I'm just awash in joy. And then like the, the doppelganger thing, or sorry, not the doppelganger, it's sort of the, the, the counterweight. I just realized, yeah, this is going to be gone pretty soon. <laughs> and I'm just like, I have sadness that I won't be eating a burrito in 15 minutes. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I think about that, like, like like how I draw the analogy. I was trying to figure out what point I was trying to make with a clover leaf design like ours. Like you can figure out a great sushi place. We got two of those, possibly three. You can figure out where the not the best cookies in Colorado, the best cookies in the world are. Mountaintop Cookie Shop um, used to be Mary's Mountain Cookies, and you don't leave Mary's Mountain Cookies behind. Like you can go there the next night. Um, it's a neat way to embrace like breakfast. I mean, it's an economic engine the size of Whistler. It's huge uh, in terms of the rooms available, the experience you can have, though, like like really finding the places you love in a small mountain town, which it still is, is neat. I, uh, a couple of journalists were, were, were trying to like pit us against some of the other stage races with, with shuttles and, and camping. And I really try to avoid that comparison. I think that there's sort of a romantic, uh, like busy bike race, you know? You're on ferries and, and seeing like a lot of the country. Me personally, I, I don't want to do that, but I can appreciate the experience. But staying in the same place, it allows you to focus on your bike and, and less on logistics. Yeah. DC so, Bike Race, unfortunately, they don't do the ferries anymore. And they, I think they're trying to find their stride. Like they had it in the Okanagan last year. Um, which is where I used to live. And then this year it's only on the Island, but there's still a lot of really good things to be had there, but there is a lot of logistical challenges with having ferry rides for sure. I think that's good for some people. I'm not saying that our experience is better. I'm certainly not saying that theirs is worse. I'm saying that they're different mm-hmm. and the terrain there is phenomenal. The trans Rockies terrain is phenomenal. The high Alpine stuff that we offer it's phenomenal. Everything in the North Shore that, that the magazine formerly known as Bike used to love, you know, to the exclusion of everything else, it seemed like sometimes it's phenomenal. What we have is just different. And you know, variety is, is the spice of life. So go to IBC Bike Race. Come to us the year after. You know, go to Aaron the year after that. You know, but come back to us for sure. <laughs> for sure. We have the best cookies. How has this changed over the years? Because I mean, I, I even found pictures of myself because I did it also in 2011. And then I've done it. I did it again last year. 
I look at pictures of myself from 2010, 2011, and I look at the bike that I was riding and the technology has in cycling has changed so much. There's like bar ends and these little bars and this 26 inch bike. And I have to imagine that the art of stage racing, I, I look at the art of the bike, the physical art of b- the bike. Like how has the art of the stage race changed over time? Well, you look the same. Like you're possibly getting younger, which is crazy. The rest of us are getting older. I'm getting older. Is, <laughs> <laughs> right, that was Paul Rudd's response to that a comment like that. He's like, I feel awful on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, equipment has certainly changed. Like they, those are the very visible top line items. Like no one's riding twenty six wheels anymore. Twenty six inch wheels. Nobody has a triple chain ring. Everyone has a dropper post. Almost everyone's riding a full suspension bike, and all of them go uphill pretty well. The, the stage race component, I mean, we diversify a little bit. We try to give people more data points. So the Epic Enduro is a way to sub-slice it. We're going to do a little bit of a mini Epic this year, like just to aid one and, and back. And it will be very competitive, but it will be just a way to get a taste. And that's a, you know, 12-mile ride every morning. That's a, a good ride. How has it changed? We've seen money come and go. Uh, I think the cautionary tale of 24 hour racing is always in my mind. Like when will the fad be over? And for me, I don't know the answer to that. And I know that the only thing I can do about it is to continue to try and do a good job to have little wrinkles every year um, that, that surprise and delight people. And I think every year more or less we do. The courses are pretty much the same as, as they were even 2009 that was year one timing's the same it's a, a gc format you know we have a grand fondo category we learned to always invite people back into the race like, like they may have a bad day i need to drop out we need to find a way to get them back in but that change came really early you know i think 2010 or 11 different categories i think event producers right now are struggling with gender issues how to be good human beings, how to honor an already uh, disadvantaged group of humans. Um, and this is like like the, the third rail of, of bicycle racing is to even have these conversations. And it's because they're really hard and mm. people are very polarized. And, and they're, they're, my sense is that there's a huge group of people in the middle who want to talk about it and, and have some heartache about how it's rolling out. Because change is hard. And nobody knows the answers. But I think that we don't see a lot of that. We don't have, we've, we've had a trans category for a couple of years, uh, non-binary, non-conforming. Like there's a lot of, we, we, we threw it out there to have input on, on how we deal with it. Personally, <laughs> I'm not sure if you heard that, but my Siri just went off in my oh, headphones. No. <laughs> Good. Um, we are seeing you know, crazy societal swings right now. So we want to be sure that everyone feels welcome. And I feel really strongly about that. Um, doesn't matter how you identify. It doesn't matter who you worship. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter. You know, it just doesn't matter. And my response to that, I don't care if you're gay. Sounds pretty callous, right? It's like, I, I, it's just that I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. I, I matter. I care about the quality of your character. 
And I typically don't see very beyond that. I don't see beyond that. So we're wrestling with these issues and that's not just stage racing, that's cycling and, and sport and athletics. And we have some very polarized voices coming from every side. I'm trying to figure out how, where to put an, a, a second sheet of ice locally and uh, to use an example, and everyone has an opinion. Um, it needs to go here. And they're drawing a line in the sand you know, to defend their viewpoint. And I just sat in a board meeting and said, listen, we need to listen to everybody and we need to be okay wherever it lands. We're, we're going to have this second sheet of ice and these people have the money and they have an outsized voice in where it lands. The important thing is the sheet of ice. The important thing is, is that bike racing continues. The important thing is that people feel welcome and Unfortunately, I think those conversations are loaded right now. And maybe that's how they should be. You know, it shouldn't be easy to get a backcountry permit. You should really need to justify your existence and get to find solutions for some of these um, societal conversations. We need to have hard conversations. But some people could really take their foot off the gas about, you know, throwing, I'm going to mix a bunch of metaphors here. Some of the input isn't helping. You know, and there's the obvious people like the, the super bigoted and racist people out there. They don't help anything or, or get really far afield. There's a lot of outrage about there about everything. So we try to keep our heads down when it is okay to do that. And sometimes you also have to stand up and defend people who deserve defending and ask for understanding that we don't have perfect solutions sometimes. And that that's okay. We're all going to arrive at the same place together 10 years from now, 20 years from now, wherever. You want people to come to your funeral or when they light your longboat on fire, <laughs> whatever it is, and, tell, and say, you know what? He was an asshole, but man, he really tried to not be one. <laughs> or whatever. Like You want, them, want people to know that you care. So how has stage racing changed? Society's changed a little bit. I think stage racing is mostly the same. We're using we at chip timing now. Like mm-hmm. that's the thing. Right. Sorry, you got you got more than you you bargained for with that answer. No, I, I think that was a really important and a really great answer. And it does tie into what you said at the very beginning of we need to listen to people. That's the goal of your organization at the Breck Epic. Listen to people, don't just make decisions. Having grace and also trying things and making mistakes along the way and with the best intentions and then to learn from that and to keep, keep going. And that's how the race has changed. That's how society has changed, but there needs to be more grace around some of these changes in conversations. Yeah. They're just, uh, you know, it's some even easy answers and maybe it's been like this for as long as there have been questions, um, but typically the answers that the, the questions that, that we've seen over the past decade are really layered and nuanced and there's enough air in the room to accommodate more than just one perspective and to find peace with that. I'm talking to everybody and I'm not talking about there being some very good people on one side. Like there are poopy people out there. There really are. And they're not welcome, right? We got a rule for that. And we have pretty good compliance. We really do. I think because we set clear expectations. And we've been saying that for 15 years. Like if, if you're someone who's real, real fussy and real not nice, we're not the race for you. And 
I haven't really sent people home over the years, but I've threatened to send them home. <laughs> I'm going to give you your money back and send you away. Um, and in a couple of cases, women, which is really surprising. They were so hard to deal with. And there have been dudes too. And we, we have like a, 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 is it a black book or a blacklist? A blacklist. There's <laughs> like four people on it. Two women and two men. It's like they typed in Breck Epic and they can't even get to the website. <laughs> Your IP no. address has been blocked. <laughs> it's not there tattooed in my brain. <laughs> That's where it lives. Um, I wish I could lock their IPs. Uh, they're not interested in us anymore. We're not their cup of tea, which is fine. Works out for everybody. Yeah, I think that's another important lesson is that a lot of us think that we need to be everything to everyone or we need to create a product that is for everyone. And you can't do that. There's just no way to be everything to everyone all the time. That's true. I think that speaks to, you know, we, we started talking about the arc of the epic and I've wanted it to be different things over the years. I wanted it to be America's grand mountain bike race. I wanted there to be a huge purse. I wanted us to be a UCI event. I wanted us to be the uh, forbidden race that the UCI was making us think about. And what I found after all of that, you know, like finding our path is that Trying to be something based on being mad at something else was a poor foundation. I think we've been lucky in that, you know, that you're a guest in our house thing is a pretty consistent theme since day one. But what I found after all these years was that adopting that you're a guest in our house philosophy really was the thing. Like the work is the reward. Doing a good job is the point. And it's not a about the person. It's not about UCI points. And I will love those things. And we may have them again, but they won't be the primary driver. Um, it matters less to me about people acknowledging that we have these great stories unfolding over the course of a week. If you care about them and we do a good job telling them, people will find them and that's enough. But I no longer, I think, need the validation of other people seeing that and saying it. It really boils down to us. If there are interesting stories, we should find a way to tell them. And if we do a good job of that, everything will work out. So, I mean, I think that is the arc. It's we've, we've come full circle. Yeah, you said that you guys are definitely a people first, profit second um, mentality. <laughs> and yeah. you've told me that seven organizations have tried to buy the Breck Epic. And in a world of races being bought up by a lot of different organizations, Ironman, Lifetime, to name a few. How did you make those decisions? Because I'm sure it was difficult when somebody's offering you a pile of money for your race. And it's something you've had to work super hard at. And maybe it's maybe it is or it isn't as profitable as you would have liked. How do you make those decisions on whether to sell it or not? It's uh let me need to, to refine that. I think it's six point five, uh, not seven, and it's it's instances not 6.5 people and it's an important distinction at least to me thank you yeah um i said sorry oh no sonia it's this um have you ever heard um or read the book the prophet it's mm -hmm. typically a graduation book and there's a great line in there as a quote work is love made visible and love made visible can take a lot of forms and i may not be getting the quote exactly right but the answer to your question is that the breck epic is a labor of love it is, it is a way to show people a place that's meaningful and special. And the riders within the race get to visit these backcountry cathedrals. 
know, there are places of quiet worship where you got there under your own power. And that is a magnificent thing. And you did it with brothers and sisters. And, and like that enriches the experience. It's not that I'm opposed to selling it. And I think if people knew that the numbers being tossed around, they, they would think we're crazy for not selling it. But at the end of the day, I think the vision that those people had for the event differed from ours. In some cases, it came down to size. In other cases, like they, they wanted the event to be much bigger. And I just don't think that that's a good athletic experience. I don't think that's good for the trail system. But it really comes back to, I want you, Sonia, to have a good time out there. And I think that if you're out there with 999 other people, that the good time left 500 people ago, probably more. So we said, no, I just, I just don't think, I think there are other ways to make money with a race. And, and we've learned a lot from some of the people that we've gone down the um, due diligence process with. Like we're smarter about our business because of these interactions. And I like to think that most of those people are still friends. Um, it, it was a respectful no. It wasn't a calculated you know, David versus Goliath thing. But their vision, you know, diverged from ours about what was important. And at some point, you know, when, when someone comes along with a sack of money <laughs> that helps get uh, Minimac and Breck Epic Jr. through college, like, I, I don't want to be hanging banners when I'm 75, but it needs to be in tune with the sensibility of the community. Summit County is, is very stewardship and conservation based, like the trails need to endure. And I subscribe to those values. It's... uh and I think for me that that's, you know, we can't get past that part of the conversation. If we can't get past that, then we don't have a conversation. And there are other ways to generate revenue with an event like ours. Unfortunately, we suck at a bunch of them. We're not great at raising sponsorship money. The situation that we're in with Brett, you know, we can't write a huge host venue agreement because we don't have TV coverage and exposure in, in you know, faraway markets, televised markets. I get those things. There are a couple other streams of revenue that all events rely on, you know, registration, obviously, merchandise. We're doing better with, you know, merchandise, especially registrations better. The answer is not always going to be no, but the conditions need to be right. And the first bar that needs to be cleared is that I need to evaluate what someone wants to do at the event and feel pretty good that the community is going to be okay with it. Because doing good work there matters to me. I don't want to see my labor of love killed because people ran roughshod over, you know, the, the land managers and the permit approval people or, or whoever. So not yet. Maybe sometime in the future, but probably not anytime soon. Yeah, just the amount of integrity that you have and your vision for Breck. Like, I don't think a lot of people are able to make decisions in the same way that you did. And it can be really challenging to stand up for what you believe in whenever there is a big paycheck that could impact your family in a big way. We think about that. You know, these are decisions, discussions that my wife and I have about what's right, what's wrong. You need to look at those things through a longer lens. If someone offers us, you know, six times what our house is worth, we're going to take that money, <laughs> believe me. But it doesn't impact anyone other than us, uh, right? So I think a race like the Epic, I, I 
humbly believe that it makes mountain biking better. Like it's a part of the fabric. It, it adds to the amazingness of us. I love who we are, what we do, every aspect. I love people are recumbents. Mm-hmm. And I have loved those things since I was a little boy. You know, I had a father who was an awful role model in every way except that one. And um, we're not saints. You know, we, we definitely make our share of mistakes. But uh, it matters, you know, that the community looks at us and thinks that we're doing a good job. And I want the event to live on when I'm no longer a part of it. And I, I think it's it's like there are notes of adoption there. You want to make sure that the adoptive parents are, are uh, you know, they're they're not chain smokers or serial killers or anything. So one thing that I wanted to ask you is, since I'm looking at the time, like I feel like we could do a very long podcast talking about Breck Epic because there's so much to talk about. But if someone's listening and they're thinking, I really have this this sense of reverence for my community and my trails out my back door. And I want to start my own race. What advice do you have for somebody that wants to start their own race? Selfishly, do it in the winter. (laughs) We don't need another competitor. I think, I don't know about advice. I'm careful about advice because everyone's reality is very different. I have some standard parenting advice that's, you know, ubiquitous and non-offensive. You know, Keep your sense of humor, right? Preserve date night, get a yoga ball. And like, that's it. And no, no the first one is... Yoga ball isn't for date night, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just knocked me off my my thought track. Nice job. Um, <laughs> how to start your own race. <laughs> how to start your own race. Um, listen to everybody. The key piece of parenting advice is a great piece of advice in life. Listen to everybody. Listen to yourselves. Listen to your baby. Make a decision with those last three people in mind. A lot of people think that their advice starts with a capital A. That's not true. So we've tried to go through with the epic like that. Listen to everybody. You know, you you have to build consensus. And that would be my advice to anyone wanting to do this for themselves. You know, do it for the right reasons. Don't do it for money. Because sometimes there'll be a pandemic. Sometimes there'll be rain. You You know, sometimes an economy will crash. But do it for love. You know, do it because you love doing what you do. Do it because it matters to you. And, and that's getting dangerously close to advice. That's what's worked for us, more or less. And also, I think I got lucky in that I had just an enormous amount of obliviousness about how hard it would be. Right? <laughs> right? And uh, I've sometimes mislabeled that as confidence. I knew I could do it. And that's not true. It just never occurred to me that I couldn't do it, right? That's more accurate. If you want everyone to have custom water bottles and nameplates, all that's standing in between you and making that happen is time and the ability to figure out how to make it happen or to have someone help you figure out how to make it happen. Like every cool thing that you want to do, I got got diagnosed with ADD at 41, which answered so many questions about why some things were so hard and other things were so easy which is why I'm good at some aspects of being a race promoter is that I have fielded so many self-imposed curveballs over the years that I'm not flustered very much by curveballs. It's, um, you can do it, you know, have a healthy amount of fear about keeping people safe. Like your trains need to run on time. You, you need to really, really be very cautious with risks that you take with other people. 
like trust that you can do it or at least suspend disbelief that you can't, um, which I, I really believe is, is how it happened for us. Yeah, why couldn't we do six days? Sure, I'm going to get some people together. <laughs> and that's how it happened. And you love where you are and you think you have something neat to show people. There are, are really worse foundations to build something cool. It doesn't need to be six days. Maybe it's just one day, you know? Cool races kind of float to the top, and you can see the ones, you can see the ones that are getting by on resources, and there's nothing wrong with that. And you can also see the ones that are getting by just on adoration, like like the people who produce them love them. Both of those dynamics seem to be healthy. So yeah, go ahead, do it. Don't think that you can't. And how hard is too hard? Because I'm sure that that there there is a range of picking how hard you should make a stage in a race or even a single day race. And that range is pretty broad. So like, how do you make that decision? Great question. Like her cove has been nagging me to a point to point wreck epic, like all six stages in a row. And uh, after talking with our permitting partners, they're like, yeah, I don't see why not. <laughs> so we're doing that this year. And like, that's too hard, right? Like, like Kirkov and his nut job crew who are just born to suffer. But it also is a neat storytelling aspect. Go ahead. Oh, I'm just smiling because I've I've been along for some of those suffering moments. <laughs> Makes right? you tough. <laughs> yeah, and crazy and sleep deprived and cranky. Um <laughs> How hard is too hard? Quality matters. Integrity of course design matters. You can't avoid doing hard things in, in, in a race like Epic. You can't avoid avoid the hard climbs. And that's the point too. You want it to be hard, like so people remember it. Yeah. There's it, it needs to be hard. That's the whole point. But not punitively hard. You know, Wheeler, I think a lot of people put in the punitively hard category, and I don't disagree with them, but you get to a place that... I disagree. Not, <laughs> good for you. You're tougher than most humans. You've seen it. You get to a place that's moon-like. It's ethereal. You know, there's like not many people in the history of the world have ever been up there. Can that's I argue for a second about about the why people think Wheeler is too hard? Yeah. It's, be, it's because people have a bad attitude about hike a bike. And once you can wrap your head around the fact that you're going to be pushing your bike to the top of a super cool mountain, and then you get to have the best time of your life descending, then it's not that bad. Like it's just people's expectations and deciding in advance that pushing your bike is annoying. Once you change your mind about that, it opens up so much for you. Clear expectations, right? You're going to be pushing your bike for an hour. The view is going to be pretty good the whole time, right? And it's going to be fun, right? And you're going to be able to smell bacon for the last half hour. <laughs> um, and then you're going to descend and then you're going to climb again, which is where the bacon is. How hard is too hard? It's like a vice chart when you're going to Dave's hot chicken. <laughs> you're getting chicken wings. Like Reaper's pretty hot. Like you don't want to give people a Reaper. But spicy to extra spicy, I think, is the sweet spot. Like you have to find enough bulk in the participation pyramid. Because like I can't run an event like the Mega Epic because there'll be just like twenty 100%. dudes and two <laughs> girls who show up and like that's not a good business model um, unless you have helicopters and outside TV and Discovery Channel like we don't have that so hard enough I think 
intensity is a, is a layer that matters. Like when we used to divide races into beginner sport expert and pro those are pretty easily understood. Like a reasonably fit sport class rider, they'll suffer, but everyone's suffering, but they can do it. We've had 70 year old humans, men and women across the finish line. Art is good. Hard is the point. Like you want to, you want to show people the face of their God out there a little bit and, and have them have a moment of clarity about what they're capable of. That's the point. And grinding them into paste, hurting them, that's not the point. You want to send them home healthy, happy, and hungover. <laughs> for doing our job right. And, uh, I, like, there's like the hotel always asks us, Do you want to bring a bar out to the nightly meetings? I'm like, No, you're going to sell three beers. Because, like, our people I like to say, like, uh, there's a healthy nightlife in Breck. And I like to advertise the event to the town council as all my people are asleep by nine. <laughs> Right? Nobody's stabbing anybody outside of Cecilia's because they're too tired for that. Stage seven's different. A heart is too hard. And you just know, you know, it needs to be fun. There needs to be payoffs in every stage. It needs to be fun riding. And the intensity part is hard. When when you're you're at the pointy end of a pro field, that's pretty hard, no matter how far the race is. So it's as hard as you make it. Three H's of Breck Epic. Healthy, happy, hungover. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit hungover. <laughs> Some years a lot hungover, but just on um, Saturday. Well, thanks for taking the time to hang out with me and chat Breck Epic. I've definitely got to spend a lot of time hearing you tell really funny stories and entertaining stories. At, I think I've done three Breck Epics and looking forward to making it number four this year. Where can people sign up uh, for the race? And is there anything else that you want to share? Thank you. I think people should know about the project that you and I are working on, uh, the Women's Cycling Summit, which really started out of a conversation that you and I and Kat Nash had last year about, you know, the women's participation, the epic lags behind other races. And I think it's because it's intimidating. Um, And, you know, the more guys who are racing, the fewer women you'll have because guys are sometimes their own worst enemy. And the thing that guys want most is more women on bikes, right? Like it's, it's everything, you know, the center cannot hold, <laughs> like it all just breaks apart and stops making sense. But out of that, we sat down with, we advertised you know, just to get together with you and Kat and Rebecca Gross and, you know, 50 to 60 women showed up and we shot the shit and, I sat in the back and took notes. I really wanted to listen. And then you and I talked afterwards and both sort of had this, that was really cool observation. So we talked about some of the things that you had in the fire and we decided to work towards a women's cycling summit where we could talk about successes and, and discuss some of the challenges and explore some of the solutions. So you and I have this cool side project called the Women's Cycling Summit. It is launching at the Breck Epic this year. It's three days of just that. People we admire from the bike and outdoor industry, tech clinics, skill skill clinics, Breck-X talks, right? Um, and it's, I think it's going to be fun. And our partners are all there. You know, Yeti's on board and Orange Seal's on board. Shimano's on board. It's neat. Uh, Goo, Steli, like they're all presenting something at this. Vivo. You know, your partner, we had a really neat talk with them. They're coming on board for the Women's Cycling Summit. It's great. So mostly free, August 
14th, 15th, and 16th um, at Breck Epic HQ, which is a Beaver Run Resort. So, yeah, and then race the last three days. You can do that's what I'm doing. I'm going to be at Women's Cycling Summit and then race the last three days of the Breck Epic. Yeah, you can mostly, almost, sort of. <laughs> we'll we're going to have to we have to give you a hall pass from the last day of the Women's Cycling Summit. Um, but I think we can do that. Registration is live. You know, we have this refund policy that's a legacy item that's very, very generous. We're currently in the deferral stage of that refund policy, but we have enough people deferring that we can keep letting people in. And you can register at breckepic.com. The Women's Cycling Summit, I think we'll have some things you need to sign up for so we can just keep numbers, but it's free. And now that I'm back from traveling for hockey with uh, Mini Mac, I can actually get the schedule up. Uh, I think that's a tomorrow thing. Womenscyclingsummit.com. Yeah. And thanks so much for your support. It's been really fun to to work on that with you. And I'm really excited about everyone's experience when they come to our house for that as well. Thank you. Um, I feel the same way. It's been a really fun project. This talk feels like most of the talks we have. Um, long and rambling and sometimes. As it should. <laughs> totally. They're the best. Thank you for having me. Very, very neat to sit down and have an hour just to gab. All right. Well, thanks, Mike. I hope you enjoyed that awesome episode with Mike McCormick. I threw a lot out there in the introduction. So quick recap for you is that check out the Breck Epic first and foremost. Go to breckepic.com. Also go to prevenex.com if you are interested in trying the Neurofy Plus plant-based protein shake or any of their pharmaceutical grade, super high quality vitamins and minerals that I take. And you can use the code SONYA15 for 15% off. I also mentioned the Women's Cycling Summit, which is an event that I am hosting alongside Breck Epic in August. You can find that at womenscyclingsummit.com. And last, I am doing a presentation on June 20th with RLC-MTB. That's Brian Leach's mountain bike skills coaching website. That is on Tuesday, June 20th at noon. And make sure you are subscribed to my newsletter so that I can send you the free link and you can join us. All right. Lots going on here. Very exciting stuff. I hope you're having a great summer so far. And as always, I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day. I'll see you right back here next week.